0: Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Man, awesome day to praise the Lord. Amen. No matter what we face this week, what we're facing today, uh, it's a beautiful day to praise God and to see it move in our lives and and to believe in what he's going to do. Um, yeah, I, man, I'm excited for today. I got to go with my brother Marcus who went to Costco this week. I, see, I, I don't normally go to the Costco because I, I'm a visionary, and <laughs> Costco a bad place for visionaries because you begin to look at meat prices, and you begin to think, man, I, what can I do with that? Man, what could I do with that, right? I'm like a whole tenderloin. We're there. He's like, you don't come here very often, do you? I was like, no, they keep me away from here. <laughs> Because uh, I, I just, you know, I think, oh, what can we do? Um, and I'm a purchaser, you know, I like to buy stuff. So, uh, But we went, we got the meat for it, and uh, Mark is very graciously smoked up a bunch of wings that are there. Uh, he's making burgers, and we're going to be grilling. Got the team, Dave and Jackson, they're going to be out there just, just getting down with it. So I encourage you guys to come. Um, And and eat food. Nothing nothing you buy around the area is going to be better than what we're going to give you for free anyway. So uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good time to hang out. Uh, We talked about friendships in this church. And we just want to give opportunities to really activate that, to engage in that. Um, But this morning, you know, we've been talking over the past... Um, uh, Two weeks, really, about this 4 for 40 challenge, so if you're new, let me just tell you what it is. We've been encouraging everyone and to kind of join together, my wife and I and our team and everybody at the church, to pray and seek the Lord in the 40 days leading up to Christmas, which started on the 15th of of this month. On the 40 days leading up to Christmas, that that we would begin to—all right, sorry, before that, but in the 40 days leading up to Christmas, that we would begin to seek the Lord and say, God, who are four people over the next 40 days we can share the hope of Jesus with and see the world changed. And I really believe that if we as a church get behind just sharing the hope of Jesus, that we'll see the world around us transformed and renewed. So uh, as part of that, I know that it's a big step for some to really to invite and to to share that hope with others. But I want to encourage you that our church is full of people who have been invited and have heard that hope and have been encouraged. And so last week, we did did a testimony. And this week, I want to do a testimony and invite up one of my favorite couples here, uh, Jake and Madison Craig. If they would come up this morning. I know, not, not very often Jake gets invited up to do things other than tell dad jokes, uh, which he is quite exceptional at, uh, but today's a little different, uh, you guys have probably seen Jake and Madison serving all over the place and just being an awesome part of the Banner Church family, and uh, good friends to us as well, we love them, uh, but I thought I'd just invite you, um, well I guess I've introduced you, but you know, share who you are and maybe how you found the church.
1: Hello everybody, if you haven't met me, my name is Jake Craig and this is my gorgeous wife Madison
2: and she's gonna
1: tell you how we found Banner Church
2: Um, good morning so we found Banner Church actually grew up in Seattle Washington Miss Gillian Barry and I went to high school together if you can believe it so when they moved down here we were already in Arizona so they said hey why don't you come out to church, and we can hang out, we'll go grab lunch after, and we we're like, absolutely, um, it was a bit of a drive for us, if you don't know, we live about an hour and 10 minutes from the church, so um, we we're like, we'll make a day out of it, right, it'll be fun, we'll get to hang out, we'll get lunch, we'll get to see him again, reconnect, all that good stuff, and then on our way home, we were both looking at each other in the car, and we're like, we're coming back next week, right, like, this is, <laughs> this is what we're doing from here on out, so, um, yeah, that was about about three and a half years ago, and very grateful. It's I mean, it's been a family. It's been a fun time. So yeah, that's how we found it.
0: So could you share a little bit about? I know like God's done a lot in your life, and it's you know it's fun to see how how you guys have grown. But you just share a little bit as an encouragement of what the Lord's done here, and just
1: even in, in your in your life in your family. Yeah. So prior to Banner Church, we went to what we call like a big box church. It was like a lot of people. And it was hard to kind of get involved cuz we're a little more shy about stuff, I guess. So one major thing we found here was it was like it was comfy, it was cozy, you know, it was it was just it was just perfect. It was so natural feeling. And one thing that God has done for us since we've been here is we're noticing a lot now our children are doing things that we want them to do. And so that's how you know, it's it's you know, apple tree. So it's like we're learning a lot here. We're teaching our kids some stuff, and now they're seeing it. And And proof to that is you go tell my kids right now, and they're not cleaning their bedroom. We're not going to church on Sunday. They break down and cry. So it is like, yeah, but, like, just to show you, like, yeah. So, you know, our children love church, and that to me means a lot because we're able to provide for them what we're receiving every Sunday, and that's just, it's, it's, it's friends, it's family, it's a community, and uh, God is just making us better parents because of it, so um, one of the things he's been doing for us is, is that, just being better people, so...
0: so as you guys were invited, you know, by some of our team members, like, what, how would you encourage, actually, I don't even think they were living here, would, would, were you guys, where, where are Dave and Gill? oh, wait, they're cooking, sorry, I pointed to them as they've left to do another serve task, so that's my bad, <laughs> normally, they'd be right there, but um, their jacket's there, so just, you know, same spirit, right, uh, <laughs> how would you encourage people who are maybe, like, you, you guys said, you know, we're not the, the most extroverted or whatever, but, you know, we feel that call to invite, to encourage people to be a part of what, what we've discovered. How would you encourage somebody in that?
1: Yeah, so for me, um, if you know me, I, I, like, I talk a lot, I don't shut up, but I'm also an extrovert, or an introvert, because um, if I don't know you, I'm, like, a little more shy and timid about stuff, so my, my recommendation would be to just, to literally just take one step forward and just get a little bit uncomfortable, because... That's where the Lord really will shine, is when you're just, you're, you're doing things, because at that point, you're relying on God, because you're no longer in control, and that's when he's going to really shine, and you end up having these organic conversations with people, whether it's about God, or it's about, hey, you got nice shoes, or hey, you smell great, like, you know. Just, just pick something like, "Hey Ben, sweet glasses," you know, and then you, you just go into it and just talk to them, and and the Lord's going to do His work through you. You're just that conduit. So just, just get a little uncomfortable and pray for strength, and that I think that that will take you a long ways.
2: And then I would also add, like, don't assume their limitations to what they're willing to do. Because if Gil and David had been like, "Well, they live pretty far," I mean, they may not want to come. Like, oh, we would have missed out on so much, so don't get into your head about it and think that, well, they might say no because of this, or they might say no because of this, but they might say yes, and that's going to be amazing, and God's going to work through that, so. Amen.
0: Awesome. Can we thank Jake and Madison this morning? Thank you, guys. Any any dad joke before you go, Jake? You got a quick one? Okay, hit, hit us with a quick one.
1: Why did the toilet paper cross the road? Okay, let's pretend that didn't happen (laughs) why didn't the toilet paper cross the road it got stuck in a crack
0: (laughs) perfect that is everything i'd hoped it would be
1: (laughs) i I love
0: that huge fan Uh, (laughs) awesome awesome i uh yeah, we, we love what God's doing. We love what the Lord continues to do, amen, and through families and, and through individuals. And I want to encourage you, if, especially if you have questions about how do I really, like, engage the people around me, just ask the people you see who are engaging others and say, hey, I, I have questions. That's the thing. I think, I think often we think it's a light switch of turning it off and on when it comes to engaging others with the hope of Jesus. But for many of us, it's, it's just, it's learned. How do I begin to impact others? And we can, one of the ways we can learn is just by asking in relationship. Just say, hey, I I notice you're good at that. I notice you do that. And they might be like, oh, I don't feel like I'm good at that at all, (laughs) right? But it's just, it builds that relationship. It gives an opportunity. It gives good soil for a friendship uh, to, to really be brought to life. So I encourage you to engage in that. And I think, honestly, as we've been going through this series on confronting Christianity, that's one of the things I've loved the most about you, church, is that this feels like an incredible place to come and just share truth and that we can navigate that in grace together and that we can look to grow, that this is not about uh, combating. It's not about uh, aggression. It's really about receiving and then inviting the Lord and saying, God, would you move? Would you lead us? Would you direct us? Would you strengthen us to speak truth? Would you encourage us in where we're going? And so people have asked me in preparing for these sermons, like, how are you doing? And I said, well, I think it would depend on the church, but at this church, I'm just celebrating what God is doing, that whether we're talking about rights or they're talking about uh, what what we're going to discuss today, that we do it with the attitude of God. We want to be more like you. Christ, we want to reflect more of your love, and we truly, truly want to see the world around us transformed with the hope of the gospel. Amen? Amen. So today, we're asking the question, we're confronting Christianity with the question, isn't Christianity homophobic? And I think that's a good question, because I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've seen a lot of signs, I've seen protests, counter-protests, I've seen uh, posts on the internet, I've seen articles and opinion pieces, and I've seen people speak out this way or that way, all kinds of things. Uh But I've seen a narrative about what God believes or doesn't believe about certain people. And I think it's important that today we go to the word of God and allow him to speak about what he says regarding homosexuality specifically. And how God has called us as his followers to treat people that would fall into this category, so to speak, who who would consider themselves one of these people that maybe they have seen a message not of love, not a, of joy and truth, but maybe of anger, maybe of bitterness, and to say, okay, God, how do we intersect that with the truth of the gospel? So we're here to do some gospel trench work. So I hope you're ready for that. You ready for that? Right. Good. Then you can you can just you know process when you're eating barbecue food later. Uh, <laughs> You might wonder, though, like, why? Why do we do these? People have asked me, "Hey, I really enjoy that we're doing this sermon, but you know, why are we doing it? Why? Why did you choose to do this? It's not the most comfortable and easy task, and I appreciate that because it's not. You know, as we're preparing for the holidays, it's, you know, it's like, why choose this? It's like, well, that for for a couple reasons, and 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 I understand that. Uh, when we share these topics and by preaching these topics, it, it kind of opens us up and myself up and my family up uh, to a lot of responses, some that are healthy and some that are unhealthy, right? I mean, I, I grew up in Seattle. I preached these kind of messages in Seattle. Uh, I, I've gotten the emails and the letters and the phone calls and the interactions. I've been picketed on uh, one week by the LGBT community and on the next week by the Westboro Baptists. It's like they couldn't decide where we fell. So I... I <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know I've been in the mix you know and, and people say well why why do it right there's a lot of noise there's a lot of shouting and anger there's a lot of media there's a lot of shouting and anger in the media and, and there's very little grace why, why speak on them when there's such a risk and, and I want to say because of a few reasons because first I believe that truth brings healing yes. yep. and secondly because I believe that God has called the church out of survival and into revival yeah. yes. Church Christ longs for revival in His church. He longs for repentance. He longs for restoration. He longs for compassion. He longs for mission to be operating in grace and in truth in His church. That's what the Lord longs for. He longs for us as believers, as a church, to operate in grace and in truth. We must fully walk in the grace of God. Somebody say grace in the grace of God and we must firmly stand on the truth. Someone say truth. truth. The truth of his word because it is in truth where freedom and life dwell and it is in grace where they are lived out. In John eight thirty two, Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so I want to tell you today that the truth will set you free. And very specifically, I am not here to bring condemnation on anyone, but to offer what I believe to be true in the Word of God. In John 3.17. Now, 3.16 is the one that people make posters of for sports, sporting events, right? For God so love the world. But John 3.17 is also powerful. Because in John 3.17... He says for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him And so I want you to hear me say as we begin today There is no condemnation here, but there is a call and the call is to receive the truth of Jesus Christ in your life Is anyone here just thankful for Jesus? Raise your hand if you're thankful for Jesus. I am thankful for Jesus. Or clap. Thank you, Ben. Ben's Pentecostal. Uh, I'm thank. Yeah. Let me hear a shout out. Right. You know. Um, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for His example. I'm thankful for that He's led us. And so today, as we talk about this, I want to jump to John chapter eight, and I want us to just dwell there if we could. So if you have your Bible, open it with me, uh, or your phone, or you just want to watch on the screen, that's okay too. Uh, John chapter eight. Verse 2. When you're there, somebody say, Amen. I'm there. Amen. Why well, you got there fast? There's a spiritual people in Second Service. Man, you guys were ready. You're like, I have it bookmarked. The, the Lord told me before I came in my prayer, in my prayer closet. I was just in there, just stirring the pot of the sp- I don't know. I'm not making fun of Pentecostals. We are Pentecostal. I love them. But, you know, it's like we can make, you know, we can joke because it's, it's us, right? <laughs> John chapter 8, verse 2 says this, early in the morning he came again to the temple that's Jesus, Jesus came again to the temple says all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them, says the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said to him, teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Amazing response. It says, and as they continued to ask them, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9 says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. It says then Jesus stood up and said to her, "Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you?" And she said, "No one, Lord." And Jesus said, "Neither do I condemn you. Go." And from now on, sin no more. I want to look at this encounter with Jesus, but let's begin by praying together. Is that okay? Yeah. Good. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today from your word, and you would encourage our hearts. And in fact, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would, in your word, speak through our culture, that it would penetrate through the the terms and the ideologies of our culture, that it would penetrate even through our traumas and our past, and it would speak directly into our heart, and it would bring a healing work this morning. God, that what we would discover is not the scornful eyes of a God described by the world, but the compassionate embrace of a Christ who loves us and gave himself for us. In your name, amen. amen. Let's, let's talk about this, because this is a fascinating thing that occurs here. And there's a lot at play, and, and, and though this scripture is not saying anything about uh, homosexuality a, a, as it pertains to you know, what, I've, what I've said in the sermon, I believe it speaks profoundly to what we want to talk about today. It says in verse 2 that Jesus goes into the temple and he begins to teach. And as he's teaching, it says that the scribes and the Pharisees break in, bringing with them a woman they've caught in adultery, which that is a crazy scene already. I just want you to imagine you're at temple or church. Let's say right now we're at church and some dudes come through the door carrying a woman who, considering the fact she was caught in adultery, I'm assuming is mildly too undressed, somewhere in that spectrum of dress, right? Who's probably ashamed, terrified, and they bring her up, just a minute, they bring her up, and they're like, Hey! The law says we're supposed to stone her to death. What do you say? And now you're this woman. Your, hand, your fate is in the hands of, of this guy, right? And everyone is around you witnessing you in your nakedness, in your state, or whatever you're in, right? And, and, and basically saying, you should die. That's a terrifying place, right? Yeah. That's the tone. And the guy who decides says, well, whoever hasn't sinned, should go first And then sits down <laughs> Right That's his response That would be shocking If he was like I don't know And just starts riding on the ground Like dude are you not paying attention Right But that's that's not necessarily the tone that Jesus is taking Right Jesus uh, is encountering this woman And he's encountering what the Pharisees Are trying to do So this woman is being used As a pawn by the Pharisees It says in verse 5 That they bring her in And they say the, In the law Moses commanded us To stone such women What do you say? And then verse 6 says They said this to test him So they're trying to appeal To the law The, the Mosaic law To the law over the Jews To try and trap Jesus In one or two choices Either he approves the law And what it says completely Right? In which case he's also affirming mob justice And this woman's going to get stoned to death Which is a bad look Just in general Right? <laughs> that would have been a harsh And brutal and terrible Scene, right? So they're wanting to prove the, the, or get pass judgment On this woman. Now he's stuck on the other Side because if he says Well no, I know that's a law but forget about that Then they're like wait a second Forget about the law, you are a heretic Right? Let's stone him Are you with me? but Jesus is smart because he's God, right? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't fall for this because what they're trying to do is appeal to something but they're twisting it when they're using it. And I find this very often when people use Mosaic Law even today is that they lack an understanding and they definitely lack the heart of God and its intent. So let's talk about this for a second. What is the law, specifically the Mosaic Law and why should we care? Often, if someone talks to you in regards to any issue of sexuality, but predominantly homosexuality, often the Mosaic Law could come up. Well, in the Old Testament, it says this. So let's talk about that. Is that okay? Yes. Okay, I just want us to be informed together. Last week and in the weeks before, we've talked about Eden. We talked about God creating man and woman in his image. Chandler spoke an amazing message on the image of God. And and we've been talking about that, God creating man and woman in his image in perfect unity with God. They were man and woman. There was a perfect sexual intimacy. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, right? The two become one flesh. There's a unity. There's a covenant that's occurring there between them. But we also have talked about the past couple weeks that there was a problem in Eden, and the problem was sin, is that man and woman sinned, and because of that choice, there's a curse of sin in the world. Next week, we're talking about suffering, and I encourage you, and uh, we're going to talk more about that. But what we also see occurring in the garden along with that is that God loves his children, Right? And so in that moment, he promises to send a Messiah who he says is going to crush Satan and restore his creation. Like right from the beginning, he promises a Messiah. And so in the Old Testament, as we watch the progression of God and his relationship with his people, when we get to Abraham specifically, we see God make a covenant to bring about a Messiah. He makes a covenant with Abraham. Remember, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father. You guys grow up in church. You know that, right? That's like that's a little jingle. Man, yeah, jingles were it. That was like, Those kind of jingly songs were it for a long time. They're stuck in your brain. I don't remember calculus. Spent thousands of dollars to learn that. But I do remember Father Abraham. So I don't know. Bring your kids to church. I don't know what that means. But uh, <laughs> well, Father Abraham, right? The, 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 the forefather here. He is given a a covenant and a promise by God. He says, I'm going to use your offspring and your family as my people. They're going to become my people. I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to bless you as my people. And they're going to to expand, and through you, I'm going to bring a blessing on the whole earth. I'm going to bring a Messiah. And so as Abraham's descendants grow, if we follow the Old Testament, we see the descendants of Abraham as the people of Israel ending up in Egypt as slaves, which is a far cry from redeeming all creation, right? It's a far cry from a promised land. It's a far cry from redeeming all creation. But God, with his mighty hand, who is rich in mercy, saves them out of slavery, right? As this powerful visual of what's to come to the Messiah, saves them out of slavery and makes a new covenant. He affirms this covenant with them in the desert. And that is an important step Before God brings his people Into the promised land of Canaan He gives them a covenant Because there's a couple problems occurring They're free Free from slavery They're in the desert They're waiting for the promised land But there's some things that are happening The First problem is that people are still under the curse of sin That even Israel Though the presence of God goes with them They still rebel against God They still rebel against his goodness, his leadership, his holiness, and his call to purity. And then there's another problem, which is the land that he's about to take them into, that's like their norm is rebelling against God. The land that God is going to take the people of Israel into, their lives fundamentally down to how they worship God are completely counter to God. And so when God's giving the law to his people, he is giving them regulations and restrictions because he does not want them to be deceived by things that will draw them away from him. Him being the source of life, the source of hope, the source who will bring about the Messiah, that he doesn't want them to be drawn away and deceived and trapped in darkness. And so through Moses, God gives his people the law to preserve them. And that's really how we can look at the law. We can look at it as a bunch of rules that God gives to, like, that make us really scared and afraid to die. Or we can look at it and say, God had a people he was trying to preserve in a world that did not share uh, his uh, visions and heart for holiness. And so he sends them into Canaan. Are you still with me? Amen? Amen. Okay. If you need to, everyone just kind of lift your hands up and just wave them around for a second. There we go. Perfect. All right. We're there. See? Got to get through a little bit of OT history and shake it out. Now we're back. Are you back? Okay, awesome. So (laughs) you're like, why did we do that? It's okay. (laughs) In the ancient areas, Canaan, the land they were getting sent sent into, was full of a couple things. Child sacrifice, adultery, orgies, worshiping God through prostitution, sexual violence, homosexual same-sex uh. Behavior, bestiality, all kinds of sexual worship, all kinds of things that were happening that were counter to the way that God set up Eden and for his people and what he longs to restore them to. That were counter. The land that God was sending his people into was full of practices that would draw and lead his people away from him, from his very heart, and from holiness. And so he gives them the law to preserve them. And here's the law, Leviticus 20. This is going to be probably one of the most intense scriptures that I've read in church. So are you ready? Good. Okay, good. (laughs) It starts with don't sacrifice your children to Molech. And if you have a spare minute, go ahead and jump into that in the first 10 verses. I don't have that time, so I'm not going to read that. But let's just say the premise is be holy as I am holy, as he says, which is, Quite a thing to tell people because we are not holy as God is holy, and we'll talk about why we're thankful for Jesus in a second. Uh, but Leviticus 20:10, and just just please stay with me. If you're online, this is not the time to click away or the time to screenshot. I'm reading from the Bible, <laughs> and, and I'm gonna read it to you. It says, "If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. If a man, did you guys catch that? Yeah. If they commit adultery." Put to death. There's our context for for John 8. We're going to go back with that in a second. But let me read you some more. If a man lies with his father's wife, he's uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They've committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. Have you noticed the blood is upon them keeps happening. There's something about the blood, right? If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination They shall surely be put to death, their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it's depravity, and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. Stay with me. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a man approaches any animal, or if a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal, and they shall surely be put to death, their blood is upon them. Okay. It goes on, but we'll stop because I think we get the overall, I hope you're getting the picture here of what he's forming. This is not, uh, though people like to pull a certain part out and say, look, see, see this part, see this part. This is a big list of things that run counter to God and, and, and his creation of man. That he is speaking to Israel It's a list of things Homosexuality is one of them In those actions Or we would use the word homosexuality now They would use the word uh, lying with, with the same sex As uh, you would instead the opposite sex But this is not the sum of things uh, And oftentimes, people will take this verse And they'll say look see God is advocating the death of homosexuals And, and I have to give a comment here Because it's so far from being true For a couple reasons. First, we can't read ancient literature through a modern lens. Are you with me? We cannot read ancient literature through a modern lens. How today, how culture today speaks of sexual relations between same-sex people is profoundly different than Israel thought. And it is profoundly different than how most of the ancient Near East thought. And that is so important. Because if you read it through a modern lens, you're like, oh, my gosh. God says that we should stone people who engage in same-sex relationships. We should stone them to death. That's what your God says. He says to stone homosexuals. And I'm telling you, one, that's not even how they saw the issue. See, homosexuality being an identity is a relatively new idea. And you might say, well, I've heard about, you know, the Greeks practicing, you know, the, these practices together, or, or I've, heard, I've read about, you know, Central Asia, you know, people engaging in, in this way. And I have to tell you, even in those, because I've studied those, and I've studied uh, even some of these philosophers who have engaged in, in that action, they would all say that those relationships were seen as an action by two people a- of the same gender, not as an identity, as, as a personhood, a community, or... Or, or a lifestyle? Are you with me? Yeah. That is an important understanding because if because we have to understand what God is saying in context of how it's been understood for thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of years. For thousands and upon thousands of years, especially in Israel and in the Canaanite people, what you did your, with your body was seen as an expression of your choice and your will, not a submission to an identity. Whether you were doing that to engage in worship of a, of a foreign god, you know, or foreign to Israel, or worship of a god, or, or engaging in, in, in behaviors, they were seen as a choice of your will. You were still the same sex, you, and you were still the same gender, you are still the same person, but you were engaging in behavior of a certain kind. And that's important that we understand this is the context of what's being written because God is not calling people to kill other people because they are homosexuals. And I, I think it's maybe in the past been used to do that. I don't know. I mean, there, there's cases of, of horrible things around the world. And I can argue, you know, and then talk from a, from a logistic and a statistic level. And I've done that in other ones. We're staying on a biblical level here so you understand that. God is not calling his people to kill other people because they're homosexuals. Just like he's not calling them to kill other people. Hey, if you find anybody on the road that's committing adultery, stone them to death, right? He's not putting in a, principle, a universal principle for actions against these behaviors. He's the, the universality of their behaviors being counter to God is still true. But their engagement under the judgment of God is specific in this case. The action, the law, the punishment according to the law is specific to those who are under the law. Because the people of Israel have entered into a covenant relationship with God. They said, yes, God, we want to be your people. Yes, God, we want the blessings. Yes, God, we want the promised land. Yes, God, we want all of the abundance of the land of milk and honey. And He says, great, if you're going to be my people, this is my requirement of the covenant, is that you would be this people, and you would be in this way, in alignment to me. If you served a pagan god, if you served Molech, for example, the, the requirements of Molech would include ritual prostitution and certain behaviors, That and you would say, okay, I'm committing to that, and so I'll do those things. If you commit to God, if you commit to Yahweh, as Israel does, right, if Israel commits to Yahweh, they're saying, we'll come under your covenant authority, we'll come under the law. And so if you come under the law, and you break the law, and you fight the law, the law wins, Right, I fought the law, and the law won. Right, <laughs> that's how it works. And so they were making, and again, I, I, I'm just trying to clarify some things. By agreeing to be his people, they put themselves under his authority, which comes with his protection, his blessing, and his judgment on the law. So God is speaking in this situation. To his people to preserve them So God is trying to preserve the life of his people Not take the lives of a people group That's not what he's advocating here This is not a wholesale invitation to go out And find adulterers and walk through the street with stones And stone them to death That's not why God's making this law Are you with me? Sometimes we get confused on why God made the law God made the law to preserve his people from practices that would destroy them That would turn them away from him See, God was always working to redeem what sin destroyed. What did God long to redeem? He, you and I. His people, mankind through Israel. But the Messiah doesn't come if the, if the people turn away, if the, line, the lineage is ended because they are trapped and locked into evil practices. God's saying these things, these actions are not how I created you to be. And Israel, listen, he's he's speaking to his people, saying, listen, through you, I'm working to restore creation. Through you, I'm working to bring life where sin has brought death. He's saying, so don't give yourself over to the things that bring death. That's why in Leviticus 20, 22, he says, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and my rules and do them, that the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Why would it vomit you out? Because you've stepped out from underneath my authority and my blessing, and you begin to take part in the things that lead to death. He says, be holy, be holy, be separated from that. I'm making a covenant that protects you in participating in what leads to death. Are you still with me? Are you following today? Yeah. I know we just forwarded into the Old Testament for 15 minutes, but I think it's so important. Because this is the law that the Pharisees and the scribes, right, they're bringing against Jesus, Right, they're bringing this principle, saying, "Look, Jesus, you—the uh, the Scripture says, the law says that this woman should be stoned according to the law." Interestingly enough, we read it together. Do you notice who's here in the situation? The woman. Who's not here in this in John chapter eight? the man. Who has a problem with that, right? Yeah. right? All the women. You're like, wait a second. And most of the good-hearted men are like, I see a problem here, right? It said they both got to go, right? And if we're doing it by the book, right? Then we're doing it by the book. Get that guy. Bring him out, right? Here's the thing that we know. Historically, the Jewish people had not and were not living up to the standard of sexual purity in the law. Which is why on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus so clearly says and speaks against frivolous divorce. He speaks against sexual immorality. He speaks against adultery. Why? Because he didn't have anything better to do? No. Because he's speaking to his people. I don't pick random things to talk to my child about when I see them struggling. I pick the thing they're struggling with right now, right? If my kid falls and scrapes his knee because he was running too fast, I don't say, hey, buddy, make sure to clean up your room. I'm faced with what's in front of us right now, right? Same thing. If you find Jesus talking about certain things, right, it's very likely those are the things they were struggling with, Right? Yeah. Right? And so Paul in Romans 1 tells us that's exactly what they were facing. Have you read Romans 1 recently? That is a scathing sermon. I have never preached a sermon this mean as Romans 1. (laughs) Never in my life. This is a ruthless evaluation of human activity. And Paul was so good at it, which is probably why he got stoned to death twice. Right? (laughs) Right? Right? That's That's a sign you piss some people off. They stone you to death more than once. Right? Like, this guy again. (laughs) Right? <laughs> I want to read it to you And then you can decide if you want to stone me to death afterwards It says they gave themselves up to all kinds of lusts Because they stopped following the truth And here we are in verse 25 It says because they exchanged exchange the truth about God for a lie And worshipped and served the, crea- the creature rather than the creator Who is blessed forever, amen For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions So for their women exchanged natural relations For those that are contrary to nature and men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, hate, haters of God. Breath, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Wow. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Everyone said deep breath, like, oh, right? You made it. You made it through Romans 1. Well, the first part. It gets better. <laughs> So the Jewish people were not practicing what God taught them, but they wanted to judge this woman accordingly. And here's what's crazy. Here's what is so mind-blowing to me, and I hope you're with me. They, they, bring, they bring this woman in, right? They bring her in. Imagine this circle of people. Like, let's say we're up here at the altar. They bring this woman in, and they say to Jesus, this is the law, right? Jesus, this is the law. This person d- deserves to die. And everyone's watching. Like you guys, right? You'd be just watching that. And everyone's like, hmm. That's an interesting point. But what I find even more interesting is the person that they're bringing the woman to is the person who has come to fulfill the law by his own blood. So do you remember we read in Leviticus 20, their blood will be on them. Their blood will be on them. Their blood will be on them. Right? Their life, right? Their own life. They were were covered by the blood of sacrifice that recognized God's authority, but they were about to be covered by the blood of Jesus that takes away all sin. And so they bring him before Jesus who's come to bring a new covenant through his blood that they might be free, not through sacrifice, not in adherence to these laws, not being stoned to death for adultery, but that every adulterer could come to the feet of God and say, I give you all of my sin. And Jesus says, I gladly take it upon myself to give you life. They didn't catch that. The Pharisees never catch that. A pharisaical mind never catches that. It always just sees the sin and the sinner and thinks, what should we do to them? But that's not Jesus. Amen. That Jesus calls them to love beyond the law. The law says don't commit adultery. I say don't even lust after another woman. The law says don't commit a murder. I'm saying don't even speak murder against your brother. Jesus is calling them beyond the law to something greater. If you're with me, say amen, church. Amen. Amen. That's why in verse 7 it says, as they continued to ask, he stood up and said to him, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I love this. Jesus gets up and says, oh, you want to judge? Let's start. Step up and be judged first. Woo. I find this with judgmental people, is that usually it's people who either just came out of sin that they finally admitted, and now they get judgmental, or they're people who won't confess their sin. And so they're very judgmental, then all of a sudden you begin to find out, wait a second, would have been the first one to get stoned. (laughs) Right? So Jesus says, all right. If we're judging, let's judge. Yeah. Right? And all of a sudden, all these dudes who are real confident about 30 seconds ago start thinking, wonder what he knows. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, let's start with you? What does he know? Right? Has he seen that browser history? Right? Ooh, all of a sudden, I shouldn't be so mean to my neighbor for using his lawnmower at 730 and cursing at me when I need to go delete some things off of my heart. He says, let's do it. See, Jesus isn't writing off sin, but he's taking on self-righteous people. Jesus doesn't have time for self-righteous people. You want to be self-righteous, be it alone, but not with Jesus. And So he says in verse 8, or sorry, in verse 10, that as they, as they left, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he's left, she's standing there The woman is standing there And Jesus stood up to her in verse 10 Says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one Look at what word she uses, Lord No one, Lord She declares his authority His lordship And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you Go, and from now on, sin no more The one that actually matters If he condemns her or not Said, I don't condemn you but he says something special, and I want to just take the last moments on this portion because verse 11 is a profoundly important scripture as it pertains to understanding sin and understanding God's position and relationship towards us, no matter what that might be. And I want to give you a couple of things. If you're taking notes, I just want you to hear these things. Write them down. Write them on your hand, whatever you need to do. Jesus came to save you, not condemn you. Uh, amen. Are you awake this morning, church? Jesus came to save you, not condemn you. See, all of, the, all of the accusers begin to slink away because they know that their scheme has failed. Because they know in their own heart they're accused. Yeah. Jesus knows the law. He knows their hearts. He knows God. He is God. He's not going to be tricked. And that's why in John 3:17, He says, "For God did not send His Son Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, but in order that they might be saved through him. Jesus did not come to condemn this woman caught in sin. He's not come to condemn anybody caught in sin, because all of us are caught and trapped in sin, whether we're drug out in public or not. Yep. He's come for every sinner, every person who is under the slavery of sin, he's come to set us free. And the beautiful thing that we see over and over in the New Testament is it's not the dragging sinners out in public that sets them free. It's an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not screaming at people in their sin. It's not dragging them out. It's not abusing them. It's not telling them to sort themselves out. It is an encounter with Jesus Christ. One encounter with Jesus can change everything. You might be thinking, just like that woman, there's, there's no hope for me. But verse 9 says, when she was left alone, standing face to face with Jesus, he looks at her lovingly in the eyes and says, I've not condemned you. And I believe Jesus is here to look at each and every person, regardless of how people on this earth have looked at you, and to say, I, I do not condemn you. I do not persecute you. I do not shame you. But I've come to show you. I've come to show you Oh, I've taken the condemnation and the wrath of your sin upon myself. I've come to show you how I've been persecuted for you. I've come to show you, he says, how, how I've taken upon myself your shame so that you might be free. I've come to show you how there's new life. I've come to show you how there's new mercy. I've come to show you how, how there's freedom. Church, hear me. As your pastor, it's not my role to judge you, but I do believe that Christ is calling you, and I believe that if you surrender to Him, it changes everything. It's not anyone's job here to judge you or your sin or what you're walking through or what, what you what you've face, but can I tell you When you come to know Christ, he says, leave it at my feet. Leave it at my feet. Only I can heal it. Only I can restore it. You're like, yeah, but it comes with all this baggage and all these things that I've heard. And it's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. And he says, listen, die to the old self. Be born again into new life if you want eternal life. And it doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, anything That's listed now It doesn't matter What matters is that Jesus Christ looks at you as his child And he says to you right now I am your identity I am your calling I am your purpose I am your hope And I am your key to eternal life Amen baby Jesus calls us to repentance And gives us new life This is so important Notice how Jesus does not ignore her sin. Jesus says boldly, go and sin no more. Could you imagine if that was my altar call at the end of this message? How'd you feel about that? Go and sin no more. Go. No more sin. Right? That'd be a strong call. Right? But that is the call of Christ to each of us. Right? Go and sin no more. See, the liberating work of Jesus did not mean the excusing of sin. Encountering Jesus always has demanded the transformation of life and the turning away from our sin. To repent means the the changing of one's mind, the changing of our direction and our thinking. See, Jesus does not treat sin lightly, and yet at the same time, he is also the light to those who are trapped in sin. That he offers every sinner the chance for a new life at every moment. Right now, there's a moment. There's a chance. Right now, and 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 this second, and this. There's always a chance for a new life in Jesus Christ. But John 1-8 tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear me. We have to repent of our sins no matter what they are and lay them at the feet of Jesus. But no one repents for you, and no one should demand that you repent of them. You, in an encounter with Jesus, in the face of his love, I believe will say, wow, I don't want to carry this anymore and give it to him. And my prayer is that you would encounter that great and powerful love. And so I, I hope today, and I hope I'm doing a good job of explaining this that you hear the heart of Jesus, that he has come to bring new life, that he has come to wash away all of our sins. And I know certain sins get picked on, certain sins get the press, but I got to tell you that sin is sin, but sexual sin, it holds us in a a way that's so powerful and and, and dangerous. But I want to tell you that Jesus has come to bring us new life. He's the God who looks at this woman in the crowd as she's surrounded by people mocking her and screaming her. Maybe you've been in a crowd where people are mocking you and screaming at you for the way that they perceive you lived your life and the choices you've made. And Jesus, instead of joining the crowd, he defends her, he does not condemn her, and he calls her to new life. See, God does not hate gays. God does not hate you. For the identity that you've declared over your life, whether that be sexual or personal or what's been done to you, if you struggle or if you're facing same-sex attraction or any combination of sexual sin that's occurring or sexual sin in your past, the thing the enemy loves to, to, to get at you and loves to bring up, the, the thing the enemy loves to sit on the throne of your life is this is your all, this is your identity, this is your everything. Can you, can you just please hear me today that there's freedom in Jesus? That God does not hate you. God surely does not hate you because of your sin. I know that he loves you, and he sent his son to take your sin. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, not condemn you, but save you through him. Mm -hmm. To bring you into new life. To not affirm sin, but to affirm salvation over your life. So the question I want to leave you with, and and I want to give you just a couple quick points as we close here. Everyone still with me? Yeah. Okay. Any more gym moves we got to do? Stretch it out. Feel good? (laughs) Everyone feels tight? Marcus, get out there and start cooking up some good food. Thanks, bud. (laughs) Grill it up. The question is, how do we reflect this character of Christ to others, right? How do we reflect this character of Christ to others? In a world that says we got to affirm often what we do not believe to be true, what do we affirm? Because if we love people, right, but we're told to love people is to affirm things we don't necessarily believe, that gets really difficult, right, like day to day, in your work, in your life, in your job, you're like, I love people, like, well, to love them means to affirm this, you're like, I don't feel like I can affirm that biblically, so what can I affirm, are you with me? I'm the only one who's wrestling with this daily, right, okay, we're all in this boat together, right, at work, you got HR, you're just waiting for that email, right, you know what I'm talking about. But then at the same time, if you're like me, you have friends who, who I, I know will see how they feel about me after this message, right? Because they're my dear friends, and they're walking through this. And so I've, I've been praying, God, what do I affirm? What do we affirm as a church? Because I love my friends. And no matter how what they're facing, I want to love them into Christ. So what do we affirm? So I'm going to give you some things. Ready? One, we affirm the truth that leads to life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the reality the only way to receive eternal life is through Christ. There are not many roads to heaven. And in fact, the road to heaven is narrow. And no matter how you feel and how difficult it is, you cannot add lanes to the road to heaven. There is one road, it is narrow, and it is through Jesus Christ. And so that is important because we cannot change what God has said to be true. And I want to encourage you, nor should you want to. Love people enough. To not uh, give them untruths To save your discomfort I'm not saying that sharing the truth Is easy I'm not saying it's convenient I'm not saying it's costless In fact I'm saying the opposite I'm saying it's difficult I'm saying it's inconvenient And I'm saying it's costly And I'm saying that from not only Biblical truth But personal experience As many of you have but can I just say, may God have mercy on this church if we allow the preservation of our own comfort to override the chance at someone's salvation? May He tear this place to the ground. If we choose our own personal comfort over someone else's salvation, that, that because, of, because of us being inconvenienced or impatient or unwilling to walk through messy situations and messy times, we give up on people, we're harsh with people, or we just avoid talking about it. We become overlookers instead of overcomers through the Spirit. We just overlook it. Well, I'm fine, so I, I, who cares? Well, God cares. Or we begin to affirm things that lead people away from Christ Only the truth sets us free Only repenting and fully surrender to Christ brings us new life So I, I, can I just tell you, don't affirm anything that doesn't bring life that, that is counter to the truth We should not affirm something that leads our family and friends towards death But it's just not enough to be unaffirming We need to affirm the truth and life and hope and joy in people's lives It's not enough to tell somebody what you're doing uh, isn't in the Bible They don't care, why would you care? We need to be creative and poetic even in the way that we find ways to love other people and love them towards Christ. To say, God, through your spirit, help me. Help me to speak truth in a way that goes beyond what my flesh sometimes wants to do. Are you still with me? Okay, second thing. We affirm the value. Somebody say value. We affirm the value that comes from God This is so important Every person on this earth has an incredible and uneditable value given them by God It cannot be edited by another person You cannot be added to or given less You are given it by God He has given it to you Someone said, well, you're worthless They were wrong May they be judged for that on their own May God deal with them and convict them or whatever, yada, yada They find grace But that's just simply not true, right? Right it's simply not true. You have been given value. Someone says, well, well, you know, because of this, God doesn't. No, listen, you have unending value in God. Every single person is an image bearer of yeah, God himself. Right. Every single person, no matter what sin has marked your life, it does not change your value. No sin can take away your value. No action can add to your value. Your value before God stays the same. So that means, believers. We must treat everyone with the honor due to the value that they have been given by God. That's right. It should be directly relational. This supreme amount, incredible amount of value that has been given to God, we should match that with honor. And can I tell you, that is not dependent on how they treat you or how they think. They, they might not think the same, vote the same, treat you the way you'd want to be this, the same. They might not live the same. They not, might not think the same. They might not believe the same. That doesn't change their right. value. Right. Just like it doesn't change yours. You don't have more value, but you have opportunity to honor others and speak to their value and recognize that it's one thing to just love people who think the same way as you. It's Jesus to love people who hate you. Matthew 5.43 says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As believers, our job is to follow the model of Christ and to love people because Christ loves people and to love people as Christ loves people. Are you with me? Okay. Number three. Number three. We affirm the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's not the life-changing power of me. It's not the life... I mean, my brother Stephen's amazing. He's an awesome man of God. It's not the life-changing power of Stephen, though, you know, he's, he's working to change lives. Uh, it's not the life-changing power of Ben, right? It's the life-changing power of Jesus. So we don't judge. We don't even change. We just encourage towards Christ. We love towards Christ, right? And we trust, church, we trust that Jesus changes, right. that Jesus transforms. Yes. How many of you, before Jesus transformed you, had a negative experience with a person trying to transform you, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, that sucks, right? <laughs> I don't want any of that, right? But then you encounter Jesus, and what were you stirred to be renewed and trans? What, what worked out your sin? What worked out your struggles? It was Him. Because He's got the power and the authority to do it. He's got the love to do it. And other people were a part of that. They might have called you to repentance even. They might have led you to a moment of conviction. They might have shared something or, or shared a testimony that led you to that moment. But who did the life changing? That's Jesus. And I want to encourage you. We have this idea like people say, well, Jesus just... Um, Jesus just takes you as you are. He just takes us as we are. And, and, and I love that sentiment, because what it's trying to say is everyone's welcome to come to Jesus, right? Jesus is accessible. And I believe that to be true. But I want us to just tweak that language a little bit today to say that Jesus loves us as we are. But for us, when we come to Jesus, we want to die to everything we were. Right? Jesus doesn't want you to stay trapped in addiction. He loves you too much for that. But he'll embrace you in addiction. Jesus doesn't want you to stay trapped in sexual sin, but he'll embrace you right in the midst of it. He'll love you as you are. But he calls us to something even more, to be transformed, to be renewed. Are you hearing me? Yeah. That's the heart of Christ. Because he doesn't want to affirm the sin over our life. He wants to bring affirmation of the possibility of our life yeah. through him. That he's the chain breaker, that he's the freedom bringer, right? In the gospel, when they people encountered Christ, they're transformed, amen? Yeah. In this church, if people encountered Christ, they're transformed, yeah. And we affirm that You might think Well there's no hope for me Like you have no idea Listen it doesn't matter What people have spoken over you I firmly believe And I believe scripture says That the transformative power of Christ Is for you yes. It's for you It's for your life Okay finally Are you still with me Last one Somebody say last one Last one. Then we eat some wings Last one And this is important In fact the band can come up And prayer team you can come up We're gonna end actually um, After worship and, and with all that I'm going to end the time just praying. If you want prayer today, they're going to be available. And I really encourage you. They pray for you even before the service starts. And uh, we want that opportunity to just pray over your life, especially if you're entering in the holidays feeling anxiety. Man, we want to pray for you today. You would just feel that peace. But I'm going to give you the last thing. We affirm one another as we live out truth and grace. Everyone just take a deep breath, right? What a journey it is to speak truth into dark places, but to do so with the grace of Christ. All while knowing that even with the most perfect grace, we'll be persecuted for being speakers of truth. And so believers, I think it's important that not only do we affirm the value of the lost and the people who are far from Christ and who don't know the truth yet, but also that we affirm one another. That like, I need you and you need me. That we need to affirm one another as we walk out this journey. That we need to lift each other up in prayer. We need to rally around one another. We need to have grace with each other and forgive when we get it wrong. Because this isn't easy, right? And when you get it wrong, you don't want to be in a place where you're so afraid of getting it wrong that you never try to do what's right. Because you're afraid of other people that, oh, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, did you hear what they said or how they messed up? And they're like, man, I'm just out here trying to best, trying to lead my friends to Jesus. Yeah. We need to affirm one another. Church, this is one of the biggest things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to support so we don't shrink back, but we press forward towards revival. We would share the hope and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not an easy topic, but we've been given the Holy Spirit. And so we ask and we say, move in supernatural wisdom and move in grace through us. We need to affirm a couple things in the church. We need to affirm the person that needs help from a brother and sister. Are you with me? We need to affirm that person. If someone calls you, they say, man, I'm really struggling. Could you pray for me? We need to affirm that. Yes, let me pray for you. But we also need to affirm one another as we grow in our faith. So that when you call and say, I'm struggling, that person can affirm you in growth. And that's not mocking where you are. That's just believing where you could be. Are you with me? This is, we're not a therapist hotline. We're believing in growth and change in life through Jesus Christ. So we got to affirm one another. You know what that means? That means honoring with honesty. That means when you're having a conversation with somebody, you affirm them, and that's truly what you believe, and you don't leave and think something else later. But you tell the truth in that moment and affirm them and lift them up. And church, can I encourage you? That's the kind of place we want to be, where we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to love with truth and grace. And we're submitted to the Spirit, we allow Him, and we invite Him to move through us. Because we need supernatural healing in this country in this city and even in this church I want to close today by inviting you would you stand with me we affirm one another as we live out truth and grace we affirm the life changing power of Jesus we affirm the value that comes from God and we affirm the truth that leads to life I want to invite you just bow your head and close your eyes today I know that any kind of Of sexual sin is a big topic. It can be inflammatory, it can be traumatic, it can be triggering, all of these things. So I just want you you and the Lord today to first hear that He loves you and He welcomes you. And if you especially, if you would say, yes, I'm here and this is a part of my life, that same-sex attraction is however you're defining it. It's a part of my life, and It's part of my story and my past and even your present struggle. And you have not felt welcome into that moment. I just tell you that God welcomes you into this moment of healing. And if you're struggling with that or honestly with any sexual sin, if you're struggling with an addiction to pornography or lust in your heart, and you're saying today, you know what? Man, I need healing. This is not what God created me for. This is not, I know this is not what he created me for. I need the Holy Spirit to bring a healing work. That's a place where you're seeking healing. Every eye is closed. This is you and the Lord, but I want to pray for you today, right now. If you're saying, this is an area where I need healing, can I encourage you, do not go a minute longer without being honest before the Lord. I don't bring you healing, but I'm going to believe right now, He does in this moment. Don't skip the healing He wants to bring. So if you here today are wrestling with anything that you would consider sexual sin that the Lord has defined, And you need prayer for healing and deliverance. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you right now. No one's looking at you. I want to pray for you freedom in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. I pray right now, Jesus, would you touch every heart right now, right now in this place. First and foremost, that you would break the lies of the enemy that says that your grace is not accessible in this moment. But that your grace is here and your freedom is here. And your restoration is here. And so I pray right now, Lord, that as those in this room who have raised their hand, or those online who have raised their hand, I pray as they submit and say, Jesus, I give you my heart, I pray you would bring healing in the name of Jesus right now. I pray you would bring restoration in their body, in their soul, in their mind, that you would renew their mind with right thoughts and right ways even right now, God. I pray you would speak to them, and I pray that you would give them right now a deeper revelation of your love, that you would give them a deeper revelation of how deep and how wide and how vast your love is for them, and I pray, Holy Spirit, would you heal them. And just wherever they are, I pray in their heart Right now, they would pray, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I ask you to heal my heart and give me new life and bring me up in new mercies in your name. The second thing this morning I want to pray for you for, just staying in this posture, is this month as we're leading into Christmas, we've been praying four for 40 to change the world. There's four people that you're going to share the hope of Jesus or invite them to, to Banner Church to hear the hope of Jesus. We want to pray and believe that. And last week we prayed, God, give us eyes for the vulnerable. But today I really want to pray, God, help us to love like you love. Maybe it's not related to this, but you're just like, man, I I need to love people like Jesus loves, and I need the Holy Spirit to do that. And so I'm with you here today, too, and in fact, I'm going to raise my hand if that's you, and you would say, God, help me to love others like you love, especially this season. God, help me to love like you love. Would you lift your hands? I'd be honored to pray with you today before we enter into a time of, of praise. God, I pray right now, direct us and guide us to love like you love. God, give us a boldness with our love that we would stretch out and share the hope of you in this season. God, I pray that you would help us to love even the difficult people who are around us, the people who it can be hard to love. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would move in your wisdom and your power and your authority and you would guide us to love like you. I thank you, Jesus, that there is freedom in you. Amen? I thank you that there is freedom in in your name. I thank you that there is a hope in you, and I pray that this season, regardless of what we're walking through, walking into, or walking out of, that we would take hope in you, Jesus, because you are alive, and you have come to bring us freedom, and we praise you in your name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
2: Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was
0: impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.